when I was a junior in college, my roommate and I, we kind of figured this was going to be the last spring break that we had that was really going to be ours because the next one's he was about to get married and, and we were starting jobs in different places. And so we loaded up his Ford Escort and set out to see the Grand Canyon. So we loaded up from Abilene. We were going to head. We, we made zero plans. We just shoved everything into the Ford Escort that we thought we would need. And we took about a two, two and a half day trip there, staying at KOAs along, along the way, um, eating ramen, you know, which is like a staple of the diet. So I had never seen the Grand Canyon before. I had never had this experience. And so obviously I was familiar with it. So I was trying to imagine what it would be like. And I can remember after about two and a half days of travel, we pull up to this area that is the Grand Canyon. It's an overlook point. And we kind of peel ourselves out of this little Ford Escort. And the first thing that struck me was, I thought there would be a fence. You know, pretty safety conscious here. As we walked up, and of course it's different than approaching a mountain. You know, a mountain you see for, you know, 100 miles away, our larger mountains. But this, you didn't see anything until you got right up on it. And then suddenly this, the earth just opens up. And you're standing on the edge. This is what I saw. I never felt so small in my life. And as incredible as this picture is, and I didn't take this picture, as incredible as this one is, it still doesn't do justice to the moment that I had standing there seeing this magnificent creation of God before me. And just how vast and how large and how awesome it is. I share that story because... That approaches some of the feeling that I have and I believe Paul wants us to have as we dive into the portion of the letter that was written to a church um, at the turn of the, at the, at the new millennium um, when Jesus had gone back to heaven and he launched his gospel. Christian groups were forming around and in Colossae, this small town, there was a gathering of Christians and Paul is going to write to them and he's going to try to describe something like the Grand Canyon. Because he's going to go in and he's going to describe the supremacy of Jesus to them. How Jesus is all. And I love a... a quote by John Piper. John Piper talks about the task of this message that, that Paul has for us is often like when you're trying to get your dog to look at something and you're pointing. Where does your dog look? Who's at your finger, right? You're like, it's there, it's there. And the dog's just, yeah. And he's not paying attention at all. He's just looking at you. What Paul is trying to do, he's trying to get the, the Colossians and you and me to look at Jesus. And the, the problem is, sometimes the words, we just end up kind of focusing on them. We sort of get distracted. And so I'm going to come at you today and admit the message that I'm going to give will not do justice to the scriptures that Paul shares with us 
today. So I'm going to encourage you this week to spend some time in five verses from Colossians. Because it's in those that you're going to find this question. And here's the question that that you're going to wrestle with when you get to these five. And it's a question that the people that first read this letter, they had to wrestle with. Because remember, this is a small church in a city where there's all kinds of competing philosophies. And if you had been a member of that community, there's one thing that you would have known is that all gods were accepted. In fact, nobody was anti-Jesus in the moment because they said, if you believe in Jesus, great. Let's just add Jesus to the long list of other gods that we worship. And as long as, on a regular basis, you go to the public square and you offer up a small offering and you say the words... Caesar is Lord. Jesus can fit right under that umbrella very nicely. And these early Christians were wrestling with that. And if you remember, it was a man named Epaphras that had started this church. And as they're wrestling with this reality of who's in charge here. And see, that's the big question. Who's in charge? Epaphras goes back to Paul and he shares this. And so Paul writes this letter in an answer to who's in charge. Because remember, they weren't saying no to Jesus. They just said Jesus is not enough. It's fine to have Jesus. But we need to add something else into it because Jesus is not completely in charge. And the question of your life is who is in charge? And to be the person that's in charge, you have to have two things. You have to have the ability and the authority to tell you what to do. So who has the ability and who has the authority to tell you what to do? And so Paul is going to come with this Grand Canyon-sized testimony about who Jesus is. And he is trying to demonstrate these two qualities. Jesus has the ability and Jesus has the authority. And until you realize this, your spiritual growth will always be limited and stunted. The means by which you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to mature spiritually, is to come to a realization that Jesus is the one in charge. Everything after that becomes an act of submission to him. So I want to show you in the words of Paul. Who has the ability and who has the authority? And here's five verses that we're going to read. Some places you see this titled the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the fullness of Christ. But these are about as Dense of five verses as you're going to find. This is what you would consider protein-packed. Five verses. And I want you to get your your heart, your mind, your your, um, lives around this. So I'm going to read them straight through. I want us to hear it. And if you want to follow along, if you want to circle something or jot a note down. But if you're trying to pay attention, pay attention to the number of ways Paul says Jesus is all. 
He's full. He's complete. He's first. He's supreme. Because they just kind of flow one after the other like a fire hose. Here's God's word. He. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul is pointing to Jesus. And again, the temptation is just to look at his finger. But what Paul wants you to understand is that Jesus has both the ability and the authority to be who he says he is. And so I'm going to unpack two different sections of this because there's two broad themes they come. The first one is this. The very first thing that I want you to understand that Paul gets to is Jesus is all God. Jesus is all God. What Paul does with these verses is he clearly positions Jesus as a part of what we would refer to as the Godhead. Jesus is God. Look at the language that he uses here. He is the image of the invisible God. I'm in verse 15. He's the firstborn of all creation. Meaning that everything comes through him. For by him all things were created. So he's there at the very beginning. And there's a creative power. There's a creation power that comes into play through Jesus. And so in the moment where God says, let there be light... And light goes screaming through the universe. Jesus is there. And what Paul is saying, he has this kind of ability, this kind of creation. Speak it, say it, and it comes into being ability. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things... And when Paul means, says all, he means everything. Everything, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is all God. And there is a temptation in our world to reduce who Jesus is. And Paul is saying, don't you dare reduce who he is. He is the one that was with God in the beginning and creation came to be. All things that you can see and all things that you can't see. Things he created that you haven't even seen yet. If you're a fan of uh, astronomy and space, you'll be familiar with the Hubble telescope and the incredible images that came from it and how striking and dramatic they were. Well, that telescope... You want to feel old? 
has now been replaced. And there's the James Webb Telescope, which blows the Hubble Telescope out of the water. And James Webb Telescope has begun sending back some of its early images. And this past July, it sent back what is called the Deep Field Image. And this is a picture of it. This is as far into the universe as we can look with a telescope. This is what you call a super long-range lens right here. To give you an idea of this picture, they point the James Webb Telescope at the darkest part of the sky. So if you were to go out and just kind of pick where's the, part, the place with the least light coming from, they point it in that direction, and they took this picture. If you're curious as to how large of a slice of the nighttime sky that you're looking at, what you would need to do is take a grain of sand and hold it at arm's length out. And behind the grain of sand is this. That's as large of an area, and you're seeing thousands. And by the way, thousands. Every point of light is not a star. Every point of light that you see in this image is a galaxy. And Jesus said, let there be light. And that happened. And he didn't break a sweat doing it. He, he didn't strain himself to pull that one off. That's the same Jesus that knows you intimately, knows what you're going through, knows what you're experiencing. And when you've got a problem, when you're wrestling with something, when you're in grief, when you're struggling with an addiction, when you feel like your life is broken, whatever it is, you need to know that the one that said, let there be light, is the same one that has all the ability to step into your world and speak a word. Jesus is all God. There is a temptation to try to lessen him. There's a temptation in our world. There was a temptation in Colossians. And there's a temptation today to make him something less than that. There's a big movement that says Jesus is great. Jesus is fine. We really respect the teachings of Jesus. We really appreciate what Jesus demonstrated with his life because he was a kind, moral person. But then they stop short of saying, he's Lord or he's God. A truncated Jesus is no Jesus at all. Because you and I are not saved because Jesus said some good things. Our hope is not in any single one teaching by Jesus. Our hope comes from the fact that Jesus is God and God came to earth to walk among us. And so as tempting as it is, and it may be as politically correct as we want it to be, to bring Jesus down a little bit, we cannot ever make him less than who he is. And Jesus is all God. And that's what Paul is telling the Colossians. They say, I know there's competing gods in your world. 
I know there's competing influences in your world. I know there's competing voices claiming for that number one slot. He says, Jesus is all God. He has the ability. Now the question is, does he have the authority? Here's what Paul goes on to say. Pick it up in verse 17, I believe. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then everything, he might be preeminent. I want to walk just through three things here. And I want you to know that what Paul is telling us here is that Jesus is Lord of all. He is all God, and he's Lord of all. And if you want... Look back at that verse with me. Look, look at verse 17. 17 18 says this. He's before all things, and in him think all things hold together. So this is, this is a line that takes us right back to the creation line. What Paul is saying is that because of who Jesus is, because he is Lord of all, he commands every single atom and molecule in the entire universe and it is his presence, it is his reality that holds all of creation together. He is the one that is over all, in all, through all, and by him all things are being held together. He says, you may not see this. This may be part of the invisible that's going on. You may not be aware of this, but your lack of awareness of it in no way takes away the truth of it. He's saying, Jesus is the power and the authority by which the universe stays the universe and doesn't just splinter on itself. So he has every authority everywhere all the time. There is not a square inch that Jesus is not the one that has the authority. He is Lord of all, heaven and earth. He goes on to say, And he is the head of the body, the church. And so Paul goes from this very broad way, this very um, broad sense, into this very one that says, And you as followers of Jesus, he's the head of the church. The same God that created all is the one that we worship. He's the one that gets to call the shots. He's the one that we're in submission to as we gather. He's the one that this is his church, his body. And Paul doesn't use the language here, but it uses other places. His bride. It all belongs to him. This is not your church. This is not my church. I know we use some of that language, and that, that's fine. But... We don't run the church. It's Jesus' church. And so he's talking to these Colossians. He's talking to these early Christians, Paul is. He's saying, I know you're getting pressure from all these different sides. And I know you've got all these competing philosophies. And he's encouraging them. He says, I want you to be rooted deep in this reality. 
I want you to be formed by this truth that is not any other God or philosophy that you serve other than solely and only Jesus. And he will be the one that shows us how to live in this world. He will be the one that will be our hope for the life that is to come. He will be the one that will teach us how to interact with each other. It is not based on my preference or your preference. It is not based on what I would choose to find being comfortable with, your comfort zone, any list of choices that we may want to come up together. It was simply and only be Jesus and whatever he says goes. He did not call me and ask for my vote. I tried to give it to him. It is his authority. We are his church, his people. And so what we must do, if we're going to be rooted deeply like him, we will learn to love in the way that he loves. We will learn to love the people that he loves. We will learn to put his priorities above our own, his goals above my goals. As a reminder of this to myself, because this one is one that I can get so confused on very easily. And I can so easily let my agenda creep in. And I think I've got really good reasons that my agenda's right. Just as a way of sharing with you, this is a struggle. So one of the things that I, I do every Sunday morning is I have a moment of prayer where I say, God, it's thy kingdom, not my kingdom. And what happens here today is for thy glory, not my glory. And that's the way to remind myself that God's at work in this, and this isn't about my agenda. This isn't about my wants and desires, but it's about what God can do in a group of people when he wants to move and his spirit is at, at work. He's the head of the church. Jesus is Lord of all. Last thing is this, and this is the most powerful one. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then everything he might be preeminent. That sounds like a really strange sentence, doesn't it? He's the firstborn from the dead. What Paul is saying is, he controls every atom in the universe. He has authority over you the church as you come together. And in case that's not enough, you need to know where he exercises his ultimate authority is death listens to him. When Jesus speaks, death shuts up. If you, it's crazy as you read through the New Testament. As you read through these Gospels, every time Jesus shows up at a funeral, funeral's over, he speaks a couple words, and now the person that was dead is awake again. Death holds no sway over him. His authority is complete from every single atom to his church to even death obeys his command. Does Jesus have the ability and the authority? Paul says, you bet he does. And so what we've got to do We've got to come to an understanding that as Jesus holds this kind of authority, that he is the one 
in charge. And when we come to realize that, there's the beginning of our spiritual growth. There's the place where you can grow into being who he has you to be. Because, once again, my life will then not be governed by my wish list, but by his. And as he seeks to guide my life in certain ways, to teach me to forgive, to teach me to serve, to teach me to be humble, to teach me to be available to others, to teach me to reach across boundaries and across walls that the world would say, it's too big of a gap, too big of a leap, too too big of an obstacle. That because he's Lord that can speak to even death, he can speak to me. And we'll submit to that. This is why I want you to spend some time with this, these five verses this week. And I want you to wrestle with a few things. Because as we come in to understand that Jesus is Lord that Jesus is in charge, it will begin to realign your world. Because here's the challenge for all of us, is that it's so easy to think that at the center of my world is me. And everybody else, you just get to play a part in my world. And it all becomes about me, but when you change the perspective, and Jesus is the center of the world, that's a Grand Canyon experience. Because I love you, and you just need to know, your life, you being at the center of the universe, is way too small of a universe. But with Jesus in it, the James Webb telescope can't find the edges yet. And so the invitation that Paul has for this church, this this small little church, in fact, we probably think this is the smallest church that's represented in the New Testament. Maybe 30 to 40 people. And he's telling this small little church that feels outnumbered by all these philosophies, all these voices, all these other competing gods. He says, don't worry. The one that you seek to follow is in charge of it all. Trust Him. Seek Him. Worship Him. So that's Paul's final invitation. Is that we would worship Him. This is a picture of a famous statue in Copenhagen. And the... Sculptor of this is Carl Albert Thorvaldsen. And he was working on this particular statue, and he wanted it to be a victorious image of Christ. The statue measures ten and a half feet tall. So it was going to be a prominent statue in the worship area. And the, the arms were lifted up, and the head was held high in victory. And he was working with the clay, and he was getting the the statue fairly long, and he left it in the studio, and heavy rains came in. 
And all the humidity and all the moisture began to work on the clay. And so when he came back to the studio after the rains, he found that the head had tilted downward and the arms had dropped. And he was just so disheartened. In fact, he was tempted to just destroy the statue and start again. But he spent some time thinking and praying. And then he came to realize that this is is the image of Christ that he wanted that's open and receiving the whole world. And then as they put the statue into place, they realized, since it's ten and a half feet tall, you can see it from the entire sanctuary area. And it's a prominent piece there. But if you want to see the face of Jesus, because of the tilt of the head, you have to kneel. And he decided that that was the best message of all. To come to see Jesus' face, we kneel in worship to him. So I can't think of a better way to end this message than actually doing that. So we're going to go into communion together. And then we're going to have a season of worship together. And you're going to hear this Colossians passage read one more time during that. So as we go into communion, as we kneel before God, I'm going to encourage you with some things. I want you to have your communion element ready. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say one prayer today. I'm going to pray for both the bread and the cup. And after this prayer, I want to encourage you to have a conversation with Jesus. And you may be at different places with Him right now. And so one question that I'm going to encourage you as you look Jesus in the face, is, is Jesus your Lord? Paul says he's Lord of the universe. The question is, is he your Lord? And maybe that's a confession that you've never thought about or never been challenged to wrestle with before, but I'm going to challenge you today. That if you haven't had that question, you've wrestled with that, that you would spend the next few moments that we're going to have in some quiet reflection that you can wrestle with his your Lord. But maybe that's a statement of faith that you made years and years and years ago. So my question for you is this one. What areas of your life are you withholding from Jesus? He is Lord of every atom of the universe, and yet we will still try to withhold something from him. And so what areas of, of your life... Is he not yet Lord over? And you're still trying to be in charge. So I want to pray for us. Then I want to encourage you as you partake of the bread and the cup. That you have that conversation with Jesus. If there's something that you need to invite him to be Lord over. This would be a great opportunity to do that. Let's pray. Father, we kneel before you and we worship. Father, we acknowledge that what Paul says in Colossians is true, that Jesus is Lord over the whole creation. But Father, where we struggle is making him Lord over our whole life. So Father, for the person that's here that has yet to make that 
commitment, that confession, receive that invitation, I pray that you would be at work in their thoughts and in their hearts this morning. And Father, for those of us that it may be years ago that we made that confession, that you would reveal to us where are the places in our life where we're just holding on to control. And we have yet to make you Lord over a specific area in our lives. And Father, would you help us to release the wheel and allow you to guide and to lead. Father, I'm so grateful that it was the blood of Jesus that creates this reconciliation between us. That the Lord of the universe is also the Savior of the universe. And that he would invite us into his presence at all times, including moments like these. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. And we acknowledge him as Lord today. Amen.